How are you guys doing? We, um, unfortunately, we're in the final stretch. I hope you're sad, just as sad as I am. But um, in this next session, we're going to be speaking about, Barry and I, we're going to be speaking about transformed church. We've heard from Rich and Cindy, and they spoke about transformed individuals. We've heard Debbie just speak about transformed community. And for the next few minutes, Barry and I are going to talk about what we're responsible for, and that is transformed church. We've been commissioned to, to create a culture of deep engagement and encounter. Deep engagement meaning having a group of believers, our church specifically, discover why they were made, discover their purpose and their ministry, and be deeply engaged in the life of the church, deeply engaged in building God's kingdom wherever we go. Encounter meaning that we get to encounter God deeply through our sermons, through our buildings, through our worship, in whichever way, whatever God leads us to encounter Him. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I'm going to be handing over to Barry Oswick. Make some noise. Not bad, not bad. I did that with my mother last night, and she didn't know it at all. So what was the catchphrase again? Who are you going to call? I'd like to ask the question, why on earth am I here, and why was I doing that? Why are my palms sweaty? Why is my heart racing? And secondly, why are you here? when you could be on the beach, when you could be at home, when you could be asleep, you could be doing anything you wanna do. Why are you here? Do you know the answer? I'd like to tell you this morning of three life-defining phone calls that have changed my life. First off, Picture this, it was probably 15, 16 years ago. I was standing at a ticky box in Milton Keynes. Those of you who don't know what a ticky box, it's that red thing over there. And I was, Superman comes out of that, yeah. And I was throwing pound coins into this to try and undo this mess that I had created. Let me rewind for you a little bit. I just started a job at a cinema in Milton Keynes. For those of you who don't know where Milton Keynes is, London is here. It's just towards the top, in the middle somewhere. That's enough, that's all you need to know. It's a boring place, straight roads. And I was working there in projection at a cinema. I had a boss, her name was Nikki, but we all affectionately in the office, I don't know, she was probably 25 years older than me, we all called her Love Muffin. Yeah, let me just say, it's not a good thing 
to call your boss Love Muffin. <laughs> you should never do it, even if it's common culture. So I came into this job and obviously I called her Love Muffin, but one day I made a mistake and I SMSed my current girlfriend, who was in Durban at the time, and I said something Love Muffin. And obviously for her, sitting in here, she was a bit taken back. And I realized, oh, I've sent my girlfriend Love Muffin stuff. So I like tried to take the SIM card out, didn't work. I ended up at this, yeah, I ended up at this ticky box, putting a pound in and trying to explain it. And then the time would run out, I'd put another pound in and then she'd put the phone down on me. And I put another pound in, I put in 50 pounds Roughly 900 bucks-ish. Trying to tell my girlfriend, no, I don't have an English love muffin and a South African love muffin. You're just my only love. Anyway, that night, after wasting all my money, the 50 quid, I walked home in the cold, wondering whether I had a girlfriend in South Africa. And I asked myself the question, why on earth am I here? Why am I here in the United Kingdom? Another guy was walking home one night when he was robbed and he was beaten and he was left half dead on the side of the road. And I'm sure he was also asking the question, why on earth am I here half dead? And Jesus had a bunch to say to me that night and to that guy, and he probably does to you, if you're asking any question, why on earth am I here? Read with me in Luke 10, verse 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. I'll just pause there. It's never a good idea to test Jesus. He's always gonna come back with like a question, and then you're gonna answer your own question, and then just to reiterate it, he's going to tell a story which is going to be somewhat confusing until you get to the end and then you realize, oh, okay, I know the answer. So then it goes, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Do this and you will have life, in other words. So why am I here? To love the Lord my God and to love my neighbor. Now I love myself a lot. I mean, what's not to love? <laughs> All of this. But where do I start? It seems like such a simple thing, love God and love your neighbor. But then, where do I start? I wanna suggest this morning, one of the best ways to love God and to love our neighbor, and it might sound strange, is just to stop being selfish and to start sacrificing. Stop being selfish, start to sacrifice. Let's look at those two definitions quickly. Definition of selfishness, lacking consideration for, uh, for other people, concerned chiefly with one's own profit or pleasure. Lacking consideration. 
it starts with a deficiency, it's lack. You're already without something. Something is missing from the start. You're chiefly concerned with yourself. Definition of sacrifice is give up something valued for the sake of other considerations. Or give up something valued for the sake of others' considerations. Less of me, less of self, in order for more of something else. Let's continue with the story from verse 29. This is the expert of the law speaking. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, and this is the story. Most of you know it. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. What is half dead? I asked the guys in the office. Is that like the cockroach I smacked last night in my kitchen, and then I went and got a glass of water, and when I came back, it was gone? I was like, I'm, I'm sure I knocked that guy on the head. And now he's gone. Or is this, you know the Bible that says we expected 70 years. Is this once we get to 35, we're half dead? So most of you <laughs> are pretty much half dead. The majority of you are gone. Or is this like a three-hour church service when we could be drinking coffee and that's all you need? You're feeling half dead. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Selfish. And so too, a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Selfish. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. Sacrifice pouring on oil and wine, sacrifice. Then he put the man on his donkey, sacrifice. He brought him to an inn and he took care of him, sacrifice. The next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, sacrifice. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you any expense you may have, sacrifice. Life-defining defining phone call number two. I was driving like a maniac, I don't know, 140, 150, from like Westful Pool area towards the pavilion. Yeah, I was speeding. <laughs> and then just through the dip as you go over, I picked up my phone and I phoned Debbie. While I was driving 140, Janice, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, where are you? What floor? What? Rewind. Just some five minutes before that, I was sitting in the mug and bean with Murray and Spaker. Many of you know them. They normally sit there, but they're probably coming later or on holiday. We were at the mug and bean, and our food just arrived. And I got a phone call from Debs, and she said,
she said, come quickly, Baz. Something's wrong with Rayleigh. She's seizing. So I jumped in my car. <coughs> okay, I'm over. I jumped in my car and I was racing to Westfall Hospital. Debbie didn't say anything about Westfall Hospital. That's just where I assumed she was. And so I phoned her and I said, what floor, what room, where are you? And she said, I'm at Dr. Usher's rooms. So at 1.40, with my phone on my ear, Janice, I <laughs> zipped it around. And I headed to Dr. Usher's rooms. And I walked in to see my little girl like this. Half dead. One of the scariest days of my life. Parenting has been life defining for me so far. It's shown me how selfish I am as a person. For example, don't tell Deb this, I think she's back at the, at the kids' ministry. Um, <clears throat> I keep like a little mental track of how many hours I've spent with the kids in the week. <laughs> you know you do it too. <laughs> um, in order for later on when I wanna watch sport, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, eh? Hey? Oh, she just stepped in. Next story. <laughs> the other one I frequently do, and she knows this because she also does it. In the middle of the night, three in the morning, everyone's fast asleep except for that one kid who's shouting, Mom, Dad! And then as a parent, you know, don't move. <laughs> Just pretend to be fast asleep, even if you aren't, okay? Because eventually, your partner will move, and then you know she's awake, and you can keep sleeping. <laughs> it's selfish. Or another one, I'm just gonna out one of our staff members here, Moira. Do you know those biscuits, Royal Creams? They're amazing, right? Moira told her kids that they had alcohol in them just so she didn't need to share them with her children. <laughs> Parenting teaches us how selfish we are. But it also teaches us how sacrificial we can be. That day when we moved from Dr. Usher's rooms to Westfall Hospital, as I walked through the door of that child ward and I knew I had to leave my daughter there, she began to vomit and shucks, she vomited over my shoulder, over my chest, in my pants, down my shoes, and it didn't bother me at all. 
Not one bit. Parenting has taught me to be sacrificial. God sacrificed. He gave up for other considerations his son. And the other considerations was you and me. Let that sink in for a moment. His other considerations was you and me. Verse 36, Jesus is speaking now. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And so Jesus told him, and here's the instruction, the command from Jesus, go and do likewise. In other words, go and be sacrificial. Don't be selfish. Life-defining phone call number three. I was standing in the garden at Glenn Tyrrell's house. Most of you don't know Glenn, but he's the guy on the base. I used to spend a lot of his time, my time at his house. And this fine afternoon, I pulled my phone out of my pocket and I pushed the little blue icon, which you're familiar with, and it began to ring. Rewind. I'd been working here at our church for about eight years or so, nine years, and I began to feel somewhat restless. I had a yearning to step into like the field I had studied, um, which was finance to become a wealthy financial investor, travel the globe, fine dining, fine whining. And so I found myself on a Skype call interview with the CEO of, an, of a financial company. And he said, what are you currently doing, my boy? And I said, um, I'm a worship pastor at a church. And how old are you? So I said, I'm 30 years old. And the next line is what floored me. He said, if you don't get rid of that religious mumbo jumbo Jesus stuff, you'll never make it in the world. Shucks. My blood boiled. I ended that Skype interview within a minute. I said, sorry, I won't be able to go on with this interview. See you later, mate. As if I had heard directly from God as to my purpose, I knew without a shadow of a doubt I will give my life to full-time ministry, sacrificing what I selfishly thought was my purpose and embracing God's purpose for my life. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so this morning, I'd like you to ask yourself a rather deep and probing question, a question that's somewhat difficult to answer. How is my selfishness impacting God's call on my life? God's life-defining call 
on my life. You might want to think about that when you get home or during this week. Okay, so we're in the transformed church section of today, and you might be thinking, when's this guy going to stop preaching and, t- and tell us how him and Jacques are going to change the entire church? Well, here it is. This is the profound moment. Let it sink in. Stop being selfish and start to sacrifice. It's simple. Stop being selfish and start to sacrifice. When you drive through the gates, become more selfless. Consider giving up your prime parking spot for someone else and just take a two-minute walk from across the road. Consider greeting someone you've never seen or welcoming someone who's standing by themselves. Consider sitting toward the front of our church just because you know latecomers and ladies with babies would love to have your seat at the back. Consider how you would encourage people in worship if you were to raise your hands in abandonment and not worry about yourself. Consider maybe just bringing a jersey if you think the aircon's too cold. Consider seeing the glass half full when it comes to this place and these people. Most importantly, consider what gift God has given you and how you can use it possibly sacrificially, to build this church at home ground. What's keeping you from doing that? Maybe you're scared, maybe you're too busy, maybe you don't know what your gifts are, or where they might fit in, or maybe you're just too selfish. This church will only be transformed when every single person finds their purpose and uses their gifts. And then God added to their numbers daily those who have been saved. Let's pray together. God, I firmly believe that when you begin to move within a church, when you begin to change lives and hearts, that that is attractive to other people. And that's why I know that line, you will add to our numbers daily those who are being saved. Father, teach us how to be selfless. Teach us how to think of others and you before we think of ourselves. Show us where we could sacrifice in our own personal lives for something more and something greater. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Barry. This church will only be transformed when every single person finds their purpose and uses their gifts. What a powerful statement. Thank you, Barry. Um, God has been speaking to me quite a bit through nature lately. It's been... um, quite interesting to experience and uh, and he's been using birds so lucky for you you're gonna hear about a bird again in a little bit even though you heard about birds 
just a few weeks ago when I preached. That's okay. God's still going to speak, I think. So the other morning, my, my family and I, we, they, I'm busy sending off the kids and, the, and, and my wife, Cara, to school, to work and stuff like that. And we're all walking down the stairs, okay? And all four of us, I, I was right at the back, all four of us missed on the floor a, a small little uh, dead bird. I hope it's on the screen. Yes. All four of us, actually all five of us, Cara's pregnant. <laughs> With a boy. Whoop, whoop. All five of us walk down the stairs. None of us see this little bird. None of us step on it. Then at the end, I, I, I saw this thing. I was like, oh my word, this is so cool. Maybe I should call my kids back just to come look at it so they can see what a dead baby bird looks like. And then I thought, no, no, Cara's gonna be annoyed because then they're gonna spend a bit of time there. They're gonna be late, so I thought, no, no, let me just leave it. So I kissed them goodbye, all of them, and um, I run back up the stairs, and where this bird, bird was lying, don't judge me too soon, where this bird was lying, I stomp. You know, like when you hear the sound of the ground trembling underneath your foot, and then I'm like, <gasps> I think I just stepped on this bird but I didn't. I also discovered it wasn't dead. As I look around, I see this bird squirming and moving on the floor, so I thought I may have steps on it, and um, I thought to myself, how cool would it be if, if like a snake could come, <laughs> just like a little constrictor, because I thought it was dead, and I don't think snakes like dead food. So I thought, how cool would it be? It's nature, by the way. Don't judge me too soon, I said. It's nature. Snakes eat these little birds. So I thought, how cool would it be if a snake could come and just catch this thing? I'd love to get that on video. So I get my camera ready, this camera that I took that photo with. And then no snake. So now I'm disappointed. So then I was like, oh, I don't know. What, what am I going to do? Oh, it's fine. I'm just going to leave it. Hopefully at some stage, a snake in the area, because there's a bush right in front of us, will come and get it. So, so hours go by. I'm sitting inside. was on my day off. Hours go by. And I think, how cool would it be if there's a snake there now? So I have like this thing, let me go, let me run there, let me run there and go see if there's a snake. And then there wasn't a snake. So I was disappointed, obviously. It would have been so cool to see this National Geographic thing happening, no snake. So then all of a sudden, I think to myself, what am I gonna do with this bird? I was hoping a snake would get it. There's obviously no snake coming. And then within an instance, it's the, it was the weirdest thing. This is how I know God was speaking to me. My whole heart changed. I had like a rush of emotions come into my heart. I'm not even kidding. I wanted this thing to die. I was bummed that, that I stepped on it because I couldn't feed the snake with it. Now all of a sudden, I'm like, what is gonna happen with this bird? So I'm trying to figure out what I'm gonna do. So I walk down and I say, Lord, if, <laughs> I don't know what to do. This thing's creepy, first of all. It's an ugly creature. I don't wanna touch it. But if I get to it and it's still alive... I'll consider doing something. But then I thought, no, 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 no. That's too easy. It might still be alive. What happens if I get to it and it opens its mouth for me to feed it? I thought, if it does that, if it does that, if it opens its mouth for me to feed it, I'm gonna take care of it, I thought. I walk down. This little thing's still squirming there. I'm not even kidding. I get to it and it opens its mouth. I'm not even joking. It opens its mouth and it, and it wants, me to, wants me to feed it. 
So now, now my heart is just overwhelmed with emotion. So now I'm like, if a snake arrives here now, I'm gonna kill you, bud. <laughs> so I quickly ran up, went to the kitchen. I don't know what, where to put this thing in because it's too creepy for me to touch. I can't even touch this thing. So I run and get a bowl and a lid. So I scrape, I scrape this bird into the bowl. <laughs> I put a, a little cloth inside. And, and then I think it was a, um, a mana, which is also an official name, by the way. But it wasn't. But then I started feeding it the diet of a miner, which is fruit and protein, like worms and stuff. So this thing could have been a, f- a seed eater, whatever you call those ones. But it wasn't, luckily I discovered it wasn't a miner, and I fed it the right diet, and I was able to keep this thing alive by feeding it every couple of hours for a whole weekend. A whole weekend, it didn't die. I just realized that I need to go to work tomorrow, <laughs> and I'm not gonna be able to feed it every hour and a half or two hours, which I'm supposed to do. So I I found someone who could do it for me. So I gave the bird to them. I don't know whether it's still alive because I care too much. By the end of the three days, I had so much love for this thing and I was able to pick it up and hold it in my hands. This creepy, gross bird that I didn't want to touch because I wanted the snake to eat it. But something shifted inside my heart and, and I felt God speak to me in that moment about the church and evangelism. There's a few things that, that sort of stood out for me about this moment. Was The first thing that stood out for me was, was how hard my heart was towards this bird. I didn't care. Didn't care if it died. Actually, I wanted it to die, but, but a snake must catch it. Didn't care. My heart was so hard. I want to read you a passage of Scripture real quick, and I want you to see how these religious leaders responded to the birds or the baby bird in this story. Luke 15 verse one. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. The sinners and the sinners, that's what happened there. The tax collectors were sinners, the sinners were sinners. Sinners, dirty, gross, disgusting sinners, like the bird, gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man welcomes sinners, sinners, and eats with them. Their hearts were completely hardened towards these people, these sinners who Jesus came to give his life for. How hard is your heart? Is it hard? few years ago before I came to Durban I belonged to a church and there was this awesome old lady in our church and she was just beautiful like a beautiful believer she was sweet she was the cutest lady on the planet and one day she came to me and she was very concerned and she had a conversation with me and she said Jacques so I've noticed some of the girls at your youth their skirts are too short and then she went through a list of things that was inappropriate in her opinion the bottom line was there, there was too much skin And then she says, what you need to do is you need to tell them to change what they're wearing or they should go. (laughs) She was shocked at the fact that we were actually reaching these sinners who needed Jesus and how they were dressed. And then she said, you know, Jacques, when I was young, I, I was exactly the same. I was wild and too much skin, then she said, and then I met Jesus and then nothing changed. 
until God spoke to me one day. And I said, yes, what happened then, Tani Ricky? She said, well, everything changed. And I started dressing differently. I started acting differently. I started speaking differently. And I said, that's awesome. I'm so glad God spoke to you. And I said, how awesome would it be if you allow God to speak to them instead of me just judging them what they're wearing? And there was a change of heart almost immediately when she remembered where she was, how much she needed Jesus and how God had transformed her. There was a change of heart. Her heart was completely hardened like these Pharisees. This man welcomes sinners. This youth group welcomes sinners and eats with them until she remembered God had to remind her. She was completely shocked. I would suggest that we become unshockable just like Jesus was. There's a story in the Bible where, where Jesus was sitting with a group of religious leaders. He was eating with these religious leaders and story goes that there was a sinner, a lady who, who showed up and she was so moved emotionally by Jesus' presence that she started weeping uncontrollably and she cried and cried and cried and eventually she knelt down at his feet and she wet his feet with her tears and eventually she dried his feet with her hair. And then again, the Pharisees, the religious leaders who had hardened hearts were shocked at this moment. They were shocked. Then they said, if this man truly was a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner and wouldn't mix with her. But yet Jesus was unshockable. Are you unshockable? Or is there a group or a type of person that if they showed up at church and sat next to you, you would say, they need to change or they need to go or I'm gonna go. Or are you unshockable? Jesus was unshockable. I mentioned, that was the first thing, I had a hardened heart. The next big thing for me was how, how, how drastically my, my heart had changed. How drastically, it happened instantaneously. I had a massive change of heart. The reality is, every single one of us, when we think about the world who are lost and don't know Jesus, we need to have a change of heart. We can no longer be uncomfortable with them sitting in church with us. We have to start loving them, even though it's uncomfortable to touch this little, dirty, creepy bird that I couldn't stand we have to have a change of heart. I want you to, for a moment, just to, you can close your eyes if you want to, just to think of the people who you love the most in the world. Just think of them. I want you to feel what you feel when you think of them. Love. I'll give everything for them. I'll protect them with my life. Those people. Now I want you to consider this scenario. Imagine for a moment that there was an individual who receives a death penalty and you for some reason find it in your heart to sacrifice this loved one of yours in the place of this person who received the death penalty. I don't think any of us would do that. I don't think any of us would say, I wanna surrender my life or the, the life of my loved ones to some evil guy. Yet God looked at the world and says, for I love you so much that I will give my son, my one and only son, to take your place on the cross. 
God loves sinners. Church should too. We have to have a change of heart. Third thing that I realized through the story of the bird that God spoke to me was the sense of urgency that I experienced. When I, when I had this change of heart, there was an urgency. Because of my newfound love for this little bird, there was a sense of urgency. Everything inside of me was shouting, go and find and save and protect this little bird. I rushed, I ran up the stairs, I was sweating. Sense of urgency came over me. And I was willing to take on a snake, even a mamba. That's what I felt in the moment. I even said, I thought to myself, Mamba, watch out. Bro, you will die <laughs> if you touch this creepy little bird. Sense of urgency. At the end of last year, a group of us went to the beach and we were swimming. And at some stage, two of our young adults, we didn't realize they were a little bit further than the rest of us, got taken by a riptide. We didn't realize what was happening. We thought they were just swimming. And then once they landed up behind the rocks, we realized this is potentially a problem. Both of them are here today. Luckily, the one of them came out really early, got a few scrapes, still has some scrapes and scars to, to prove what happened. But one of them, Craig, he did, he did give me permission to mention his name, didn't get out that quickly. So he got stuck behind the rocks and we just saw him swimming, swimming, swimming. And then we, Baxter and I were at some stage standing in a gap where there was no rocks. There were no rocks. And we were like, we're trying to signal, bro, come through here, swim through here. And then he didn't move because he was just stuck. And then a sense of urgency. And all of us kicked in because we love this guy. We work with this guy, he does ministry with us, become friends with him. In fact, he was a bride in my house yesterday. Love this guy. And when we realized that this was serious, we needed to make a plan. And someone said, listen, there's like, a, like one of those body, uh, a lifesaver boards at the house. Let's quickly run and find one of those. And someone ran and Baxter swam out towards him, Michael Baxter. And then while they were both behind the rocks now, a group of us decided that Craig wasn't gonna make it through the gap. He needed to come towards the rocks. Come towards the rocks. And then he didn't swim towards the rocks. The water pushed him. And it was at this stage that a group of us decided it would be a good idea to run to the edge of where the rocks were. You know the danger zone? You know the place no one should ever go? The place you die? You know that place? A group of us decided it would be a good idea to run there because we love this guy. And we were gonna do everything in our power to save him, everything. We didn't care about the rocks, we didn't care about the waves. So I found myself standing at the furthest part of the rocks, I couldn't go any further. Realizing in that moment that it was dangerous. Then at that stage, Craig came close and, and, he, and he, he landed on the rocks. And I was able to reach out my hand. And I had him for a few seconds. But then as I looked up, I realized the wave was coming. 
So both of us had to let go. And I thought I could fight this thing. I've been to the gym like once or twice. So I thought what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna hold on in the front, put my feet in the back and allow the wave to gently brush over me. And I will come out of the water, fling my hair that's slightly thinning out at the top, victorious. And that didn't happen. That wave tore me off of the rock, threw me on my back. I felt myself sliding over the rocks. I look up at Craig and he's still stuck. His foot got stuck. And then again, next moment I see Dan jumping into the water. He lost his glasses, by the way, which washed out the next day, but they were useless. And then a second wave came and Craig got washed out and he's here today doing graphics in the back. But there was a time where we as a group needed to decide, are we gonna reach him or allow him to perish? We ask you this question. Are we gonna reach them or allow them to perish? But their skirts are too short, we don't care. Are we gonna reach them or allow them to perish is the question. The moment God changes your heart, a sense of urgency will kick in and we will all agree that we've gotta reach them. We've gotta reach them. Leaving them to perish is not an option. This was completely left-handed for me. It wasn't my gifting reaching out to this creepy little baby bird. It wasn't my thing. I wasn't gifted in reaching out to this thing. I wanted it to die. The fact that you may not be gifted as an evangelist doesn't matter. Because of your love of Jesus and your love of the lost, we have to have a sense of urgency. So here's what we're gonna do. I promise that we're only gonna have one series on evangelism this year. It's gonna be fairly short. Starting next week, it's called Winsome. I'm not telling you what that means. You can come and find out. We're gonna speak for about a few weeks about evangelism. And then we're not just gonna move on to the next thing. For this whole year, we're gonna do evangelism, but don't freak out too soon. For this whole year, we're gonna do evangelism. Hopefully next week, we're gonna have a giant board up in the foyer. We were hoping it was gonna be ready this week. It's gonna say alive, because we have been raised to life. And every time someone gives their life to Jesus, we're gonna give them a bulb that they will screw into this wall as a reminder that they gave their life to Jesus and someone had a sense of urgency and invited them. And we're gonna do this for the whole year. We're gonna trust God for those who are lost. Your friends and your family and your colleagues and whoever. And here's my favorite thing about this year, is we're not gonna put pressure on you as a church to go do door-to-door evangelism or do some soapbox preaching in Westville Moor. All we're asking you to do is to invest in people 
and invite them. That's it. You can do anything beyond that if you want to. If you want to do the door-to-door thing because you have the sense of urgency, do it. But what we're asking you to do is look at your friends at work or your colleagues or your family. And all we're asking you to do is then invest in them. That means love them and care for them and ask God to give you an opportunity to invite them. And throughout this year, we're gonna have a few key Sundays that'll be primed for them. We'll tell you about them. We'll tell you this is a Sunday where you get to invite those people you've been investing in. And we're gonna give them an opportunity to give their lives to Jesus, screw in that bulb, see their lives transformed because of the power of Jesus, the power of the gospel. I wanna pray for you. Um, I don't know how you feel when you think about evangelism. I don't know what kind of person makes you feel uncomfortable, what kind of sinner makes you feel uncomfortable. Just a quick reminder, scripture says we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. So actually we're the same. But what person makes you feel uncomfortable? Who is your heart hardened towards? We know that God loves them, but he needs to do a miracle in your heart. So there can be a change of heart, so there can be a sense of urgency so we can reach them for Jesus. That person you've got in your, in your mind right now, I wanna pray with you for them and for your heart, if that's okay. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, I stand here and I realize how often I harden my heart towards people. A certain group of people certain race, certain smell, certain economic bracket, hardened heart. This morning I confess that that's me. Thank you for your forgiveness, but remove please, Lord, this heart of stone. From every single person sitting here today who wants to be included in this prayer, remove from me this heart of stone. Replace it with a heart a flesh that the Bible speaks of that can receive your love for the world. Thank you for the sense of urgency that we as a church have for those who don't know you. We praise you for that in Jesus' name.